You're listening to Fan Holes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's <laughs> going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those at? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. (laughs) I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. uh, We are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! (laughs) It is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. (laughs) (laughs) We do a podcast? What the fuck? We can destroy the rising star. By command of the Imperious Leader, you are to disengage at once and listen to Thanos Podcast, the pop culture podcast made for the fans by the fans. Disengage at once and listen to Thanos the pop culture podcast made for the fans by the fans by your command hey guys welcome back to another startastic episode of fan holes podcast hey what's up guys this is derek derek wc i'm gonna be one of your hosts tonight and tonight we're gonna be joined by a very special guest he is the eloquent host of a variety of entertaining podcasts on the two true freaks network such as the father-son retrospective on comic books hey kids comics he's also one of the co-hosts on listen to the prophets a star trek deep space nine podcast he's also the regular co-host with mr stephen lacy on the fantastic cast he is the semi-regular co-host with mr michael bailey over on views from the long box and he is the host of what i consider a wonderful solo album of podcasting covering all manner of pop culture interests the Palace of Glittering Delights. We're delighted to welcome Andrew Leyland to the show tonight. Welcome to the show, Andy. It's great to have you on. Uh, thank you, Derek. It's nice to be here. When you say it like that, it makes it seem like I do a lot. I I, I enjoy listening to like all the different shows <laughs> and everything. So I just wanted to make sure everybody knows. I mean, I think I think if people listen to our podcast, like I think hopefully I've played a trailer from most of those shows. So I hope people have have checked it out and everything. And I, I feel like I'm lucky enough to have. Uh, a cohort tonight in our discussion topic, which is going to be the Galactica 1980 comic book miniseries from Dynamite Entertainment that was released in 2009. I've actually been trying to get people to read this for longer than we've been talking about doing this show. Which so is at least a year. You know, like, I, I feel like since that miniseries came out, like, I was kind of like, because we, we do these things sometimes on our show, we, we call them comic book dares, and for a long time, Galactica 1980 was in my, like, secret file box of, like, I'm going to dare somebody to read this. And and the person that I thought w- would be the person that I would have gotten to read this with me, and, and he wanted to come and do, like, this show with us, you know, today, but, of course, schedules and things like that didn't work out. But one of my fellow fanals, Tony Jackson, like, we're, we're kind of around all the same age range, I think, and grew up when, you know, Battlestar Galactica came out and all that kind of stuff. So I figured he'd be the person most likely to sort of, 
appreciate my wonder and awe at the material. Not so much that I think it's like the greatest thing I've ever read, but but that I sort of view it as like, you know, driving past like a car accident and like it turns out like somebody got hit with a clown car and you're just like, what is what is going on? Like, what is all this stuff? You know, and I, I was just utterly fascinated by the whole concept and everything. So I, I had been trying to find some way to, to get it, you know, on, on the air and, and, and get to discuss it. And I know that when I was talking to you and, you know, corresponding with you via email and everything, like I, I could tell, like, you know, obviously Battlestar Galactica and science fiction was something that you were interested in. And of course, when I listened to your recent show about the return of Starbuck episode on Galactica 1980, I felt like it was a good time and opportunity to bring you into the fold and, and maybe we could, you know, discuss the, the miniseries and everything as sort of maybe hopefully a, a corresponding, you know, kind of podcast and everything like mm -hmm. that. But I, I just thought, like, to break the ice, maybe we could ask, like, I just thought I'd ask you, like, what what kind of is your like first introduction to like I guess maybe Battlestar Galactica in general and then maybe like what what are your earliest memories of Galactica 1980 there's a couple of different ones there's the the first time I remember seeing Battlestar Galactica in in the comics was there was an old British pocketbook called Star Heroes um the British pocketbooks would Marvel produced them very quite shoddily and cheaply they were normally about 12 or 15 pay and they were 40 odd pages so they had two complete stories in and in addition to Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four and all the usual suspects they did this Star Heroes one which was the Michael Golden Micronauts and the backup strip was Battlestar Galactica which was oh, the Walt okay. Simons and stuff okay but the first time I, I recall seeing the show was I saw Mission Galactica, the Cylon Attack, which was the second theatrical release, which was cobbled together from the episodes of The Living Legend and Fire in Space. Uh, I saw that as a double bill with Buck Rogers in the 25th century, the pilot. And then shortly after that, which will have been around 1982, 83-ish, my Granada region, my ITV region started showing the show on Sunday afternoons. It was quite late on because I remember Dirk Benedict was already in the A-team when we got Battlestar Galactica. So essentially Benedict owned the weekends. He was on Friday night in the A-team <laughs> and then he was on, on Sunday afternoons in Battlestar Galactica. And I was always dead impressed that he could do two shows at once. Two shows at the same time. Because at, awesome. at the time that I was only 10, I didn't yeah, realize yeah. that, you know, Galactica was significantly older than uh, than it was. They, they showed all the Battlestar Galactica and then it ended. And I remember from reading Starlog magazine, there was only one season of it. So I wasn't expecting any more. And then they started trailing this film they were showing called Conquest of the Earth. And I'm watching this trailer and going, that's Battlestar Galactica. But I don't recognize anyone that's in it apart from, oh, look, there's Long Green. And so I watched this film. And I was like, who, who the hell are these two usurpers? Where's Apollo and Starbuck? And what's with all these flying motorcycles? Why would the Galacticans even have motorcycles? It makes no sense. Oh, look, they can go invisible. All right, okay. That's what this is. And they followed that film up by showing Galactica 1980, which they buried in a Sunday afternoon time slot, so like one o'clock in the afternoon. And I watched it every single week, hoping against hope that it would get better and it never did until the last episode where they did the return of starbuck which is actually really good and deserves to not be an episode of galactica 1980 because it's tarred with that brush but as a rule galactica 1980 sucks 
it's funny because I I just wanted to convey to the audience that my experience with it, like I was familiar with Battlestar Galactica, and I know I watched the TV show as a kid, and one of the the action figures that survived what I refer to as the Great Purge, where I got rid of a lot of different toy lines and things, was my silver plated Cylon action figure who basically the only thing he could do was move his arms up and down and turn his head (laughs) but like even his legs weren't articulated so that still managed to survive the great purge and everything to be perfectly honest like I come from Galactic in 1980 at a totally different vantage point so when I listened to your episode about the return of Starbuck I was equally super happy that you were covering it and then i was also super disappointed when you got to the point where you're like and galactic in 1980 sucks except for this episode because in my head like i think what had happened for me was i watched the original galactica and then i think fast forward to like i don't know like 1999 or something when it was on the sci-fi channel over here and or and i sort of discovered it like for the first time and went what what is this like I've never heard of this before, and kind of like you, you're like, who? Wait, this isn't this isn't Starbuck and Apollo. Like, who who are these guys? And I was watching it, and for me, when I got to the flying motorcycles, I don't know what it is, but like to echo like Shag Matthews and Find Your Joy, I smile like a giggling idiot every time <laughs> they pull that trick on the show. Like for whatever reason, I I think because I went through that period in college where I had you know, a girlfriend who was into all manners of cheese, whether it was like Bruce Campbell or just any kind of, you know, fiction that, and and so somehow I I developed a taste and an appreciation for for cheese within sort of sci-fi specifically. And I think by the time I was, you know, I I don't know, I was in my mid-20s. And by that point, it was just, like I said, this utter fascination with like the most wacky clown car, car wreck, like you'd ever seen. And so I sort of ate it up with a spoon because I was like, what ridiculous thing are they going to do next? You know, like, because, you know, you've got the stuff with like the little kid. I was going to say, the, and, and the, the ridiculous thing that they got to next was kids that can jump through the air while singing. You know, like that, or, or like the little kid that, that takes their little invisibility, like, <laughs> you know, bracelet or whatever and goes and messes with the other kid at school. And like, just all that kind of stuff I was like totally fascinated with. And I, I feel like, you know, the, the the motorbikes, the turbo bikes that fly is like me finding my joy in, in a weird sort of way. So like I sort of I sort of love that kind of aspect to it, even though like I understand what you're saying. Like if you just watch it outright and you expect it to be something good, like a continuation of Battlestar Galactica, then yes, you're going to be disappointed. And yes, it's going to suck for you. But if you sort of come to it with the mindset that this is like the most wackiest, craziest, like awesomely bad thing you've ever seen, then like, to me, that's sort of how I came to enjoy it. So I, I guess just getting into like sort of the main thrust of what we're talking about, like I did look at an old interview from the writer Mark Guggenheim. And like, I, I, figured this is worth reading out just to establish what he was going for because basically they they sort of asked him you know why he was writing this kind of series and basically what he says is he says this series is wish fulfillment for people including myself who thought that galactica 1980 was a terrific idea 
executed terrifically poorly, Hmm. the writer says, proving once and for all that I have no commercial instincts whatsoever. This is really a book for all the people who think it's going to suck. So I guess specifically, going back to what you said, like this book should be for you, you know, specifically, Andy, you know, like the people who think Galactica 1980 sucked. And, and, And I'm just prefacing this statement so that I can say I don't think Galactica 1980 sucks because I have some twisted, perverse pleasure in watching it. So, like, my attitudes on this comic book miniseries may vary slightly from from the person that it's aimed at, I guess, is how I'm setting it up. But he, he basically goes on to say, it's for the people who don't remember the original series fondly and felt burned by it as I did. It takes you back to the time, which for me was the first commercial for Galactica 1980, when you thought that this might be the greatest series ever. That's my hope and ambition, at any rate. And that's basically what the the writer Mark Guggenheim is quoted as saying. It's time for some thrilling heroics. A brand new podcast on 2TrueFreaks.com. Keep flying. A Firefly podcast. We aim to do the impossible, cover every episode of Joss Whedon's science fiction space opera western, and that makes us mighty. We've found as fine a crew as ever populated the podcasting verse. I told them I had a job, they said yes. Didn't much care what it was. So join me, Andrew Leyland. I fought for the independence. May have been the losing side, not so sure it was the wrong one. I'm joined by a man too pretty to die, Mr. Paul Spataro. And last, but by no means least, a man with a mighty fine hat, Shepherd Bill Robinson. So join us on 2TrueFreaks.com for Keep Flying, a Firefly podcast. We aim to misbehave. And I guess we'll just get into it. Like, like I was telling you before we started, my plan is basically to sort of synopsize each issue one by one, and then I figure we can, you know, discuss some of the aspects of each issue and kind of go over, like, our thoughts and, and kind of what we thought about them. So the first issue is titled Galactica Discovers Earth, which, of course, is cropped from an actual title of Galactica 1980. At Harvard University in November of 1971, a mustached, puffy-haired man gives a lecture on his theory pertaining to extraterrestrial intervention of Earth's development, using the introduction to the original Battlestar Galactica series in this sparsely attended lecture. A young heckler in jeans and white t-shirt challenges the speaker's lame brain theory, which the speaker then vainly defends, noting the lack of knowledge about the missing link between ape and man. In 1977, NASA is busy working on the Voyager program. In 1980, Troy, aka Adama, and Dylan are on patrol. Troy detects a contact on his scanner whilst drinking from a flask. Dylan notes that it is against regulations to drink while on duty, but Troy begins his tirade on how regulations are as unnecessary as the patrol as they have never seen Cylons within their lifetime. Troy also notes that drinking dulls the pain and that Dylan should try it. The conversation ends when Dylan confirms the contact and encounters something that is not space junk. 
Adama notes that the fleet's morale has deteriorated. Women of childbearing age undergo homegrown sterilizations to prevent future generations from suffering the fate of an endless journey, and doubts that it could deteriorate any further. He also notes that there are whispers of mutiny for those who want to support a leadership that will settle the first habitable planet they come across instead of their apparently endless journey to find Earth. As Adama pulls out his gun and places it to his head, he is summoned to the rising star. Upon entering the laboratory, Adama rebukes Dr. Gaius Z for being summoned like a daggett. Upon seeing the Voyager spacecraft, Adama questions if it is of Cylon origin. Z notes Adama might be too eager for this speculation to be true. Instead, Z boasts to Adama that the craft originates from the planet Earth, and it took him merely 3.2 centaurs to translate to the Earth language. Upon questioning Z as to why Adama was not immediately notified upon this discovery, Z notes that he is a quote-unquote old man, and that sometimes his excitement gets the better of his judgment. Dylan raises his concerns over the public reaction, noting that many among Galactica's hangar crew, not to mention the civilians, have seen the Voyager spacecraft during its recovery and subsequent transfer from Galactica to the Rising Star. Faced with this reality, and the fact that word has spread throughout the fleet like wildfire, Adama and Z address the Quorum of Twelve. While Adama advises that the Quorum be prepared with answers for the fleet's questions, Z informs the Quorum that the humans on Earth are primitive that the Colonials would not be welcomed with open arms, but the reaction would instead be inhospitable. Z recommends that for their safety and the safety of the Earthlings, they conquer the planet. Adama, in contrast, advocates a peaceful meeting with the humans who constructed the Earthcraft. The Quorum agrees with Adama. Before proceeding to their final destination, Adama makes a speech to the Colonial fleet announcing the discovery of Earth. Meanwhile, on Earth, NORAD detects two unknown craft, the Colonial Vipers, piloted by Troy and Dylan, flying at Mach 3 inbound to Washington, D.C. The Vipers are an advanced scout for Galactica, who ensure the area is clear for her arrival. In the White House, the President and his staff discuss the incursion of the two Vipers, attempting to get in touch with the Russian President, Leonid Brezhnev. The Secret Service agents rush in, noting that the White House is under attack and move to bring the President to the bunker. The President breaks free of the Social Service agent's grip and rushes towards the window, seeing Galactica hovering overhead. Seeing the craft, he immediately elects the first strike option, ordering DEFCON 1 and the nuclear codes. For 67 centons since taking position above the White House, Galactica's crew attempts to contact the humans. They then detect an inbound warhead. Adama asks the gods to forgive him, as Z was right. Galactica takes a hit amidships and is destroyed, crashing to the ground. Adama lives long enough to see the sunlight from the Earth before losing consciousness. And that is the end of part one, Galactica Discovers Earth. So I guess I will open it up to my guest. What, what, what were your first thoughts when you read this? And, and I, again, I guess you had said that this was, like, I guess was me emailing you the first time you decided to check it out? Or had you heard of this a little before that? I'd heard of it a little beforehand, and I was quite interested because of Mark Guggenheim's involvement who's normally quite a solid writer. I read the first issue of this and then promptly read all three straight through. 
it's surprisingly good. I think, I mean, I think it's an interesting setup. I think Guggenheim is is a Hollywood guy. Like, I remember when I was living in L.A., he would sometimes roll into the comic store that we would all go to, and it was by the Sony Studios and everything, and sometimes he would poke his head in. I, I don't know that I exactly share, like, your thoughts of Guggenheim always being a solid writer. There's certain things of his that I think have really, really good ideas. Like, and that's kind of why I say I think he's probably a great pitch man. Like, he probably really sells the idea, and I think a lot of those ideas he had for certain arcs were good. But I do also have, like, a funny story where I, I think somebody was complaining about Maybe I think it was when he was writing Blade or something like that. I'm trying to remember exactly what comic it was. And there were a couple guys in the store complaining. And he had walked out of the store afterwards. And I don't know if he go, went to the store just to read comics like all the rest of us. Or if it was kind of like an ego trip where he'd come in and listen to like what people were talking about. You know, maybe about his comics or what. But I, I noticed he sort of quickly skedaddled out of the store after that. And then I think the clerk was kind of like, hey, dude. Like, to whoever was complaining about it, you, you know who that was, right? And they were like, no. And it's like, that guy whose story you were bitching about, that was him. You know, and it was, like, kind of funny. But that's that's basically what I remember about Mark Guggenheim in particular. But, like, for me, like, it, it does have that vibe of, you know, the, the, the quote, sort of like of this is not your father's Galactica 1980 you know because they have these like really heavy concepts where you know Adama essentially is thinking about committing suicide and pretty much all the, the women on board Galactica are considering abortion because of the length of the journey mm -hmm. so like it's weird I have like a love-hate relationship with it because I remember you know being like a young kid and being introduced to the Dark Knight Returns and you know Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, and it's like, at that time, those kind of things tended to blow my mind, and the fact that somebody appreciated the genres that we loved so much, and taking them, you know, sort of, quote-unquote, seriously, but now, I guess, I'm at that point where, you know, I, I do have that notion of, like I explained to you, where I love the cheese in the original series, so I think in this case, there there's that part of me that tends to reject like the grim and gritty, you know, quote unquote realism, because I, I, I feel a little bit like it comes a little more from a place of arrogance than a place of love where, you know how they always say like, you know, don't, don't copy the great artists. Like, you know, try to copy the shit artists and make your drawing look tons better than theirs. And I feel like that's kind of what's going on here. Like where it's like, Oh, look at how cheesy and silly and terrible Galactica 1980, the television series was, like, this is what I would do to make it better. And, like, obviously it's very gripping and, and, and does hit home with the people who thought Galactica 1980 sucked. So in that sense, I think his ambitions were successful, you know, regardless of what my opinion on it is. I think, I think it is. I mean, I, the problem I had more than anything does play into what you were just talking about. It's, I didn't like Troy drinking whilst he was on duty. I thought that was a little bit too, too dark for Battlestar Galactica generally. I mean, not the new one, obviously, where we had Colonel Ty, who was an alcoholic, but he was a functioning alcoholic. But having having Troy actually knocking back a beer, or Ambrosia, I suppose it would be, wouldn't it, whilst he's in the cockpit of a Viper seemed to, to strike me as being very much, this isn't the one you grew up with. But I, I don't mind him throwing an awful lot of Galactica 1980 away. 
No, no, I, I get that totally. I think that's why I thought it'd be fun to, to have somebody who, who had a, probably a different opinion from myself, but I could still sort of, you know, talk about what, what I thought in terms of, of my first impressions of the story and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's interesting because in some sense, it's like it's like a one, two, three punch. I mean, th- th- these are all notions of sort of ending life, you know, because they feel it's so hopeless, you know, and that is a very depressing notion. But, you know, drinking yourself into suicide, you know, putting a gun to your head and suicide, and then and then abortion, which is not necessarily suicide, but also is sort of a, a, a weird, depressing acceptance of that there is no future, you know, like, yeah. like it seems to be like like the major punch that you're getting. And I, I think we'll talk about this later in some of the other issues. But there, there was a notion of the fact that 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 remake Galactica was probably on everybody's mind when this was being written and when this came out. And I feel like there's some bleeding between the original property and the the revitalized property, you know, because they they seem to want to incorporate elements of it and and there there i feel like i don't know if they're mistakes or on purpose but but there are things that get pointed out later on in the series where you're like oh wait that's that's more like the remake series not like you know kind of like your comparison you're like oh ty was a drunk in the remake series not you know dylan in galactica you know it's not like dylan was like in the 80s and you know hanging out with like flying space kids and he was like you know Toking a flask full of liquor or whatever. The know? actor may have been. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Uh, yeah, when he was in his trailer, going, "Oh my god, what has what, what happened to my career?" <laughs> uh, yeah, see, that was my only. I, I did think that uh, the Dharma putting a gun to a head was a bit because you get the impression that he's probably done this before. But I suppose yeah. if we look at it from the point of view that this is thirty years on, he's outlived everybody. Which is yeah. something I would have liked more of an explanation of in this. Yeah. In the TV show, no explanation was ever given as to what happened to any of the characters, apart from the episode that we got, what happened to Starbuck. So we never learned what happened to Apollo, or Athena, or Cassiopeia, or any of the other regulars from the TV show. The only other one we saw was Boomer. And so the only other regular from the series we see in this is Boomer. And I would have liked to have had at least some indication of how everybody else died or why or when or maybe not have them all be dead because there's no budgetary limitations on a comic if he wanted yeah. to have kept colonel yeah. ty alive or maybe now have had cassiopeia be the doctor instead of dr salik or dr wilker or whoever it was on the original show i think i'd have been fine with that i think i'd have been fine with having a couple more familiar faces i was very surprised by his inclusion of dr z I was quite surprised that he showed up in this and he's, he really is quite awful in this comic. Uh, he's supposed to be. Yeah. I, I think that's more because of his, his probably hate of Dr. Z in the TV series. And, and you can see like in later issues, it's definitely reflected in, in how that plays out and everything. Mm. So you do wonder, does it follow the same thing? And then is, is he still going to be Starbucks? Well, adopted child, I suppose. Cause... Well, it's weird because there is that line about, he says he's an old man. Like I was wondering if, and, and this has never gone into great detail about, but like I sort of made up this, you know, headcanon backstory in my head that this was not the same character. And it was somebody, you know, 
Baltar-like, mm. who had somehow, you know, oh, like, you know, just like all these other people that are considering either suicide, you know, his way of dealing with it was to transfer his consciousness into this little kid body and then kind of start fresh, you know, and, and that's what that that's what I got from the whole you know, I'm an old man, you know, line and, and, uh, you know, but they never really confirm that one way or the other. No, I, I was wondering if he was going to be related to Count Ebley. Oh, okay. If he's okay. from that ship of light stake. Yeah. Yeah. If they were going to establish that he was like him. Uh, there's a, there's a bit where, where Dr. Z is talking about his plan and he gestures towards a planet that looks like a death star. I thought that was quite unintentionally funny. I think it's on page 10. Okay. Yeah. Was, I, I don't even know. Yeah. I don't even know if I noticed that, but that makes sense because obviously he, he does go on to become sort of an ominous, you know, uh, very, uh, you know, martial law type character, you I, know, which tie into to that kind of visualization. I liked as well that it felt more like a, a sequel to the original Battlestar. Cause in the last episode of the series, The Hand of God, they did actually pick up transmissions from Earth. So I like that it kind of tied into that. And I like that there was still a quorum of the 12. We never saw that there was a quorum in Galactica 1980. Adama was just in charge of everything. And that always was something that, that was a little bit, well, so, so this guy's in charge of everything and no one ever questions him. Whereas in the original, there was the quorum that he did have to answer to. I mean, they were always shown to be utter, utterly useless, but at least there was an authority there that Adama had to answer to. So I thought it was interesting that the quorum was still around in this version of Galactica 1980, whereas they were just never mentioned in the show. Yeah, I think that ties into what you're saying about the, the comic having you know less worry about a budgetary reasons. Mm. It, it's interesting because from my perspective, you know, I watched Galactica 1980, the television series, with a very adult perspective, so I could sort of reconcile in my head, oh, they couldn't get back the original actors, the only original people they could bring back you know, was basically Lauren Green. And, and I'm kind of like, okay, well, yeah, that's that's fine. You know, like I sort of understand that, you know, within the, the reasoning of the real world. But like you were saying before, there was always that weird notion of, wow, like it's always an odd thing when a parent outlives their children. Do you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I see what you're saying, why you could have you could have played with that notion a lot more instead of, you know, having episodes where it's like, oh, Jamie, you're trying to, you know, hit on Ben Franklin when we go back in time. Let's all have a good <laughs> 80s chuckle at the end of the episode. Meanwhile, the guy should actually be dealing with like a lot more heavy pathos, probably given given the events that that have occurred to this point. You know, mm. so I, I totally I totally get what you're saying about that. I like the central premise as well, that Dr. Z wants to show up on Earth and, and take over because we've not got the technology to deal with the Cylons. And I, I like that that was handled in this series quite well. It's something we just skirted over in Galactica 1980, apart from the, the stock footage of Earthquake that they matted some Cylon fighters over. Yeah, yeah. We, we never even really dealt with that in the TV show. And I always, even as a kid, I thought that was a much more interesting idea. What would we have done had the Galactica found Earth and then the Cylons had attacked? That, to me, was a much more interesting premise for a show. And it seems like Guggenheim had exactly the same idea. The art's brilliant. Yeah, the art is really good. Which I was quite surprised about. I mean, I don't know if you followed any Galactica comic books since the original Marvel series. The original Marvel series had artists like Walt Simonson, who's pretty damn good. But then a lot of the, the follow-ups haven't been quite as good. Certainly yeah, the, the, the Rob I, Liefeld I, one. Did you have any? Yeah, did you read any yeah. of that? 
Yeah, I did. I did. And and even I, I, I would say, like, aside from this series and maybe the one that I think what Dan Abnett worked mm. on, like, I, I don't think I the, a lot of those other ones, especially the the revival Dynamite comics, like I, I the art was never anything I, I I'm just trying to be diplomatic, but the art was never anything that really wowed me. No. Whereas this I thought this is Cesar. I think it's. I want to say Razek, but I'm not sure if that's the correct pronunciation. Mm. But basically, that is the artist on Galactica 1980. And I, I mean, I, to me, I thought it was, you know, very well done. You know, yeah. I mean, I could tell who everybody was and you could see like emotions on the face and the, the storytelling I thought was good. You know, so like I, I never had any, you know, major problems with with the art on this. In fact, I thought it was it was quite quite well done you know like and and i think that's difficult sometimes because sometimes people are you know either all about designing the ships and they're they, they do a really good job on the spaceships and the vipers and the colonial you know the battle stars the base ships and all that but then you get to the people and they look kind of i don't know not not so real or whatever and i think in this case there was a good balance between the two as well yeah they do tend, they tend to look like comic book characters Whereas you don't want them to look like comic book characters, you want them to look at least vaguely like the actors that you know from the television show. Yeah, I think I think he did a good job of that. Like because mm. the, the, I mean, the, the, it was kind of a balance. I mean, you know, we'll, I guess we'll get to this later. Like they don't specifically come out and say, you know, this is Jimmy Carter in the first issue. They kind of get to it by like issue three. But I mean, you 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 kind of get the vague idea. Like it, it's not like it's a uh, a full-on likeness of Jimmy Carter, but you get the idea. This is, you know, a, a guy who is of the make and body type and hair color where you're like, if you wanted it to be Jimmy Carter and they never said it was Jimmy Carter, he pretty much looks like Jimmy Carter. Yeah, pretty much. And there, and there is some really good visuals. The Galactica arriving over the White House is really good. I did think he destroyed the Galactica for shock value. Yeah, yeah. I, I know there was some complaint over, I mean, I, I, I don't tend to focus too much on the minutia of it because I think I was just trying to enjoy it. But I, I know there are some people that are like, well, wouldn't the Galactica or even the base stars in this case, but that would sort of destroy the whole premise of this miniseries. But wouldn't they have some kind of shielding from, you know, some sort of defense from an attack like that? And it seems like, at least in the, the, the confines of this miniseries, like, they do not, you know? Like, a nuclear warhead is still utterly devastating to to uh, a Battlestar. Yeah, whereas we're, we're led to believe that it can survive impacts like that. Certainly in the Reimagined series, the 2003 yeah, yeah. series, it survives numerous attacks by nuclear warheads. I mean, they do quite a lot of damage to the ship, but it doesn't destroy the ship. I mean, I suppose if you wanted to rationalize, you could say like, oh, look, we come in peace. You know, it's not like you're on, you know, Starfleet red alert. You know, it's not like your shields are up to maximum and all that other stuff. It's like if you if if you were coming from the notion that Adama thought he was opening an olive branch, you know, maybe the idea is if we raise our shields, you know, then I mean, then you know, it's it's considered sort of aggressive. But the the only thing that doesn't account for is you think, you know, base stars would also not just lower their shields out of arrogance or mm. whatever at the end. And know. he does he does say in a later issue, doesn't he, that I should have just sent one Viper. Right, right. So he does realise his mistake, but it that did feel very much like they couldn't do that on television. 
Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Like that that basically you couldn't rely on earthquake stock footage to get you that <laughs> that scene basically. Like no. I, and I think I think that's something that I I sort of rationalize again, you know, having come to the TV series as an adult, you know, it's like I just appreciate the to me it's like the craftsmanship of using what you have as opposed to, you know, kind of focusing on what could have been done had they had, you know, more budget or something, I guess. Mm, I doubt they would have destroyed the Galactica if they had the budget, I'll be honest no, with you. No, this yeah. did feel very much like, look, look what we're doing. So there's two instances in this first issue where I scratch my head a little bit at the storytelling decision. Because you can't have Battlestar Galactica without the Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, 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 that is true. That's very true. Do you, do you want to go on into the second issue then? Yeah, yeah, let, let's All carry right. on. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? Your Starfleet officers! Now start acting like it! Oh, it's just Garrett. Plain, simple Garrett. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the prophets. Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. Only on TwoTrueFreaks.com. Okay, so the second issue is titled Episode 2, Greetings from Earth. From the Presidential Emergency Operations Center beneath the East Wing of the White House, the U.S. President is informed by his generals that they have scored a direct hit on the Galactica. At the same time, NORAD begins a preemptive strike on the Soviet Union. Troy watches in horror as the Galactica burns near the White House. Meanwhile, Dr. Z monitors the situation from the rising star. Z informs the Quorum of Twelve that Adama is dead. When Colonel Boomer rebukes him, Z says that he had previously implanted biomonitors in all Quorum members, and Adama's has ceased functioning. The Quorum acknowledges that command of the fleet has fallen to Boomer. Z negates this by declaring cerebral law, assuming command and ordering the immediate subjugation of Earth. At the Arecibo Observatory in Puerto Rico, a scientist informs Felix Mortensen that something is happening. Mortensen retorts that he already knows, as he has been waiting for the discovery of extraterrestrial life for his entire career. Mortensen's colleague says that he heard that aliens were actually Russians. Mortensen begins listening to a conversation between Dylan and Troy, noting that they are using standard radio technology. Though Dylan and Troy appear to be speaking English to each other, Mortensen and his colleague hear them speaking a foreign language. Mortensen's colleague believes it sounds like Hebrew and wonders why the Israelis would be attacking the U.S. Mortensen corrects him, saying that the language bears strong similarities to ancient Aramaic, a language that is over 3,000 years old. He rushes out of the office to borrow his friend Hector's plane. In Moscow, 
Brezhnev and his military advisors learn that the U.S. has launched what they believe to be a retaliatory strike. Brezhnev immediately orders a counterstrike against the U.S. Troy and Dylan race into the burning wreckage of Galactica, looking for Adama. Amid the rubble and scorched bodies, they find him lying on the floor, barely breathing. They inoculate him against the radiation from the nuclear missile and pull him from the wreckage. As the two leave with Troy carrying Adama over his shoulder, they are confronted by American troops who order them to drop their weapons. Neither Troy nor Dylan can understand what they're saying. Dylan raises his laser pistol, and one of the Marines opens fire and hits him. Troy returns fire, catching the soldier in the chest and startling the other troops with his laser. In the operations center, the American generals confirm that the Soviets have retaliated with a nuclear strike of their own, and request permission from the president to launch a second salvo. One of the president's advisors recommends waiting on the second salvo, noting the original attack may not have been Soviet given the level of technology seen thus far, such as the diapers and the laser pistols. The advisor suggests that this may in fact be a first contact event, but another aide interrupts them to inform that the Colonials are landing ground forces. From the Rising Star, Dr. Z is directing the invasion of Earth. Deducing that the White House is the seat of power in the United States, Z orders the Vipers heading towards Earth to commence strafing runs. Civilian conscripted soldiers, armed with laser pistols, begin loading into land rams in preparation for the invasion. Z tells them to reclaim their heritage by conquering the savages of Earth, as they do so with the blessing of the gods. Vipers fly over Washington, D.C. as terrified civilians run from their cars. Near the capital, Mortensen records his thoughts in a car. He believes he is one of the few people in the world who could identify the language of the Colonials as descending from Aramaic. He also believes he is the only person capable of communicating with them and ending hostilities. He also cites their use of an Aramaic derived language is proof that the Colonials are, in fact, human. Arriving at the scene of Galactica's wreckage in front of the White House, Mortensen notes that he is excited by the arrival of the Colonials, as it vindicates his entire career's work. Back near the Galactica, Troy orders the remaining troops to get back. The soldiers realize the radiation from the strike is burning them and retreat. He goes to Dylan, who is lying, bleeding on the ground. Dylan notes that Earth sucks, and asks Troy not to blame the Earthlings for what happens as they are only human. In the White House, the President, Generals, and Advisors listen to the Colonial Communications. They continue to debate their origins, alternatively suggesting they are from the Israelis, Iranians, extraterrestrials, or even Biblical prophecy. A General informs the President that the Russian retaliatory strike has destroyed missile silos in Montana, Kansas, and Nebraska, with more missiles on the way. They suggest that even if the Soviets are not behind the original attack, they are now trying to destroy America's ability to retaliate and therefore the U.S. must launch a full counterattack while they still can. The President agrees, ordering the generals to launch World War III. Elsewhere, in a well-decorated room, a lone man plays the piano as a figure in shadow talks to him. The man at the piano tells the shadowy figure that he is playing Larson's Apogee in C minor, adding that it is charming to play the music of an extinct race. The shadowy figure, revealed to be Lucifer, corrects him, 
noting that the race is not entirely extinct. The man at the piano stands up, revealing Baltar, who has part of his face replaced with metal. He tells Lucifer that though they could destroy the fleet at any moment, it would destroy any chance of having Adama lead them to the home of the 13th tribe. Lucifer informs Baltar that he was correct, as Adama had landed on Earth. Baltar pulls back a curtain to reveal a window looking into space. Baltar asks how long until the Cylons intercept. Lucifer replies that it will be less than 60 centons, as a fleet of base stars and raiders are shown heading straight towards Earth. So that is how we conclude the second issue, Greetings from Earth. So again, I guess I will ask you to start with, like, what were your thoughts on this particular issue? I, I liked it. I mean, apart from the first two problems I had with the first one, I thought he escalated the drama quite nicely. You buy into this is how he's going to take the story. This is the direction he wants to take the story in. So if you buy into that, you can go along with it. I did think killing, killing Dylan off was a bit silly. Because then you've not really got anyone for Troy to talk to. And again, mm. that did feel a little bit, look, we can do what they wouldn't do on television. Right. But other than that, my only real problem with this issue was the cover, which is awful. Mm. It's just those two stirring at you. And it looks like they're reaching towards whatever the camera would be. It's it's not a very good cover at all, which is a shame because the cover to issue one, which we didn't really talk about, is really nice. And the cover to issue four is just a reworking of the movie poster from the okay. original yeah. Battlestar Galactica, right down to the Cylon ships being Ralph McQuarrie's original designs rather than what they ended up being. So it's a shame that the cover to issue two is not very good, but that's probably not the one that's on the trade anyway, so it doesn't really matter, does it? Yeah, I guess I guess since they, they write a lot of these things for trade purposes, it's like a lot of these covers become sort of indiscriminate or, you mm. know, like you, they, they all, I don't know, to me, a lot of them kind of all fold together and I, I don't tend to appreciate the ones that stand out as much, I guess, maybe because I just sort of, uh, it, it, I, I guess it's weird for me. Like, I, I know you guys will often talk about covers on your own shows and go into great detail about what you thought about the cover and everything. And, like, I can see doing that for, like, certain comics of a certain era and age. But, like, sometimes I feel like when people talk about things like logos, like, it just... I don't know. It baffles me because I, I, to me, I'm, I'm sort of more focused on, I guess, maybe the story itself and, and what's going on rather than, you know, like I, I don't tend to look at like, oh, okay, well, one logo is different from another logo. And I, I guess maybe I, I don't have as much of a, an appreciation for that at this point, given how sort of homogenous like comic book covers have become sort of from the 2000s moving forward, I guess, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I, I kind of think there's there's a little element of growing up with it. I mean, when, yeah, when I yeah. was coming up, it's the cover that attracted you to the issue. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, sure, I kind of sure. think covers should still do that, do that really. Yeah. But I, you're right, they don't. They're all these homogenous movie posters now, aren't they? Yeah, I, I think it speaks to what you're saying. You're, you're basically saying the cover of issue two would have not enticed you to pick up issue two. You know, like you would have just looked at it and kind of went, eh. You know, I mean, unless you were already hooked from the beginning, right? Like, mm. 
So, I mean, that and that makes sense to me, too. I, I do want to get back to what you were talking about with Dr. Z. Mm. And I think this is a good example or at least a good moment for me to bring it up. But this, again, is something to me that I would compare to like what was done to Scrappy Doo in the Scooby Doo live action film. Oh where, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. basically like you you had a contingent uh, a person a fan who went on to write either a movie or or a comic book or whatever and it's like, you know, and, and it's like one of those things. I mean, I'm sure we all have our personal subjective kind of opinions about certain characters i know i'm sure if i you know like it, it was one of those things where you know if if i was writing a comic you know you know maybe i would totally you know like like jeff johns you know kill off 90s fate because i think he's a mort you know what i mean like so i'm not going to sit here in judgment and say i wouldn't do things like that but it does really smack to me of of uh, like a Superboy priming of Dr. Z. And it's not like Dr. Z was like such an awesome character in the TV show. He was kind of laughable. You know, it was this little kid who basically had the answer to everything and had this really low pitched voice, you know, because I guess they were trying to cover up the, the kids that they got to play him going through puberty or whatever and, and, and that kind of thing. But there is disquieting news. Dr. Z. Thank you, Commander. This is one of the seven continents on the planet Earth. It is known as North America. This is a population center in the western sector of that continent known as Los Angeles. What's that odd-looking brown haze hanging over the city? Must be some sort of defense shield. It's one of those things where I get it, like, it, but again, kind of like you were saying, the the examples of you know, suicide really hit you over the head in the first issue. Mm. Like, basically, turning Dr. Z evil is one of those things that sort of hit me over the head. Like, it's like, okay, Guggenheim, I get it. You think Dr. Z's stupid, so now you've turned him evil, you know? <laughs> and, and, like, and like that's one of those tropes where, like, it, it was cool probably the first time I was introduced to it, but now that it's become this sort of trope, you know, with, and, and, you know, long before, like, Superboy Prime, but, you know, whether it's, like, Element Lad or who, whoever they do it to in different stories, I'm always, you know, I mean, even down to, you know, God help us, the recent issue of Captain America, where he's saying, Hail Hydra, I mean, it's gotten to the point where it's sort of laughable, you know, it's like, nobody, it, it, whereas you might believe it at a certain point, you're introduced to the trope, like, you start to sort of question it, you know, moving on, the more it happens in different stories and genres and everything and, and that's something that for me i guess it is a criticism but it's not it's not a damning criticism it's just one of those things where th this again is part of the sort of clown car accident that i'd like to point out to people where i look at it and go oh this is kind of hilarious to me because here you had a character who was completely altruistic who was supposedly you know the son of starbuck at, you know supposedly you know and and that you know he was basically just there to be you know mr exposition kid and like give people gadgets and stuff you're like where did they get the turbo cycles from it's like dr z built the turbo cycles he was he was their m for the planet earth you know basically gave them all the 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 mind numbing head splitting technology that they had the budget to show 
on that series, you know, back in 1980, basically. So it's like, and, and in this sense, it's like he's doing sort of the utmost logical without considering any emotional resonation whatsoever, you know, w- w- with the idea of, oh, we're taking over Earth. It doesn't matter who we hurt or what happens, because in the long run, it's going to be better to conscript this planet and protect us from the Cylons rather than kind of put up with humanity's current technological shortcomings, you know, and, and like, that's like you said, it's it sort of, you know, there, there is a, there is a perverse sense of logic to it, you know, but again, he is certainly painted as a, an evil character because he, he basically leads them to believe that Adama is dead, you know, and he knows that he's not dead. So there, there's a lot of sort of nefariousness that's attributed to a character that, you know, heretofore had, no such nefariousness. So so that's one of those things where it's like, if this is an alternate reality, it's one of those alternate realities where somebody acts like completely out of character. And the excuse is that, well, it's a different take on it. I, I didn't mind it, though, with Z. Because one of the things Galactica 1980 did lack was a strong villain. And I get that some of that was because of the time slot that it was in. So they didn't have a Baltar. The only thing that, that struck me as odd of making Z the villain in this is because they do end up having Baltar at the end of the issue. And although exactly it is exactly what you're saying, Guggenheim's scrappy doing him, and he's making him because he didn't like the character. Right. But he does actually give him a decent motivation for what he's doing. Oh, yeah. If, yeah. You, think, if you think about it, they've just seen the Galactica destroyed. That's essentially what they're... So it's probably not too difficult for him at that point to turn around and say, hey, look, we've just found Earth, and look what they've done. Come on, people, rally behind me. And it's... It is exactly everything you just described. He's taken a character that is almost universally loathed by people that like Galactica and done this to him to justify your hatred of him. But for a play to his writing, he makes you see his point of view. Yeah, I, but I, I don't know. Like, like I, I think of stuff like it's like, OK, you could say like, you know, Wesley Crusher is, quote unquote, universally hated or you know, <laughs> so or... Wesley joins the Borg. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like one of those things where you're like, come on, like like that, that's one of those things. I feel like I have to paint it in stuff that is not related to Galactica 1980, so you can see where I come from with it. It's like even I, like I'm admittedly, I hate Naomi Wildman. Okay, like I can't stand Naomi Wildman from Star Trek Voyager. But if you were to make Naomi Wildman a nefarious villain who, like, utterly decimated Catherine Janeway's crew, I would still kind of look at it and have that moment of, oh, come on, man, come on. Like, that's not, that's not cool. You know, like, that's not what she was meant to do type thing. So, like, that's that's that kind of, it's, again, kind of like how you said, it's it's one of those shock reactions where the Galactica blows up. I think, again, this, this does have that element to it of, I, I am also doing this to specifically, you know, shock you. This is the final moment. At long last, I've overtaken Adama with sufficient strength to blow him out of the sky. It should be quite a good battle. It will be no battle at all. A single battle star is no match for three base ships. Oh, no. What we have here, my dear Lucifer, is what is known as a rout, a humiliation, a massacre. Then you do not wish support fighters from Gamore, our outer capital? The only thing I want from Gamore is a welcoming parade, a victory celebration, 
A tribute from the people of Gamore for the greatest military leader Cylon has ever known. I've decided that the city of Gamore will be my seat of power. From it, I will decide how and where I will extend my dominion throughout the star system. Begging your pardon, Baltar, but don't you think we should first go through the formality of conquering the humans before ordering our victory celebration? That had the note of sarcasm, Lucifer. Speaking of Baltar, I thought it'd be fun to mention, like, what this reminded me of, and I don't know if you've ever seen this or not, I, I think maybe you mentioned it or not, I'm not really sure, but, like, the, there's a movie cut of Galactica 1980, and it's called Conquest of the Earth, mm. and, like, I think it combines, like, it combines, like, those first three episodes where you know galactica discovers earth but it also merges it with that one episode where like the cylon lands and goes to like the the radio party and they meet wolfman jack and stuff and there's yeah. all this crazy stuff going on and like they merge it all together but what's funny is they use stock footage of john Colicos as baltar so like in the background it's like even though on the regular galactica 1980 tv series baltar was never a thing it, it it sort of reminds me of of that movie version where you you saw it and you went oh weird like Baltar followed them like he's still he's still a thing in that that movie version mm. you know where they sort of combine all the footage and everything and that's kind of, I I don't know if it was a callback to that or whatever but like I I did kind of think of that when when Baltar is introduced there at the end and everything and I I guess for more Galactica nineteen eighty trivia and stuff like. The character Felix Mortensen is probably supposed to be like a parallel to the character Mortensen. I think his name was Donald Mortensen in the pilot. And that was, you know, the Galactica discovers Earth. And that was the character that was played by Mr. Brady from the Brady Bunch. It was Robert Reed who played him. And, like, when they come in, they change his formula on the computer. And the secretary's all dumbfounded because she thinks they've ruined it and... You know, he's sitting there staring, you know, Mr. Brady's like, oh, my God. And the secretary's like, oh, they've ruined it. And he's like, oh, my God, this is going to change the world. This is the coming of the next Messiah. Like, he's all excited and everything. And the secretary is just sitting there open mouthed and dumbfounded. But I, I think that's supposed to be like at least the, a similar character type, if not exactly the same character. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was something that was, you know, worth mentioning as far as, you know, plot and story and everything like that. Yeah. I, I honestly, I like seeing Baltar and Lucifer again. I loved Lucifer. Yeah, yeah. I loved Jonathan Harris's voice as well. Yeah. I like that they've rebuilt him. Because if you remember, yeah, the last yeah. Baltar was was seen to be crushed quite a few times. Yeah, the last Planet of the Gods, he was crushed under a bunch of rocks, and then Lucifer found him. And J Jim Shooter mooted the idea in the, the Marvel comic series that the reason Baltar is alive now is because the Cylons have rebuilt him. Mm. And he's now part machine. So I like the idea that Guggenheim's followed up on that, even though it doesn't really fit in with what happened in the series where we saw him lots of other times and he was perfectly okay. So I like that idea. And the, the final splash page of the base stars and the Cylon Raiders is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that speaks to what we were talking about before with the art, where it's like you clearly recognize the characters as Lucifer and Baltar and everything. But mm. when you get to that page of base stars and Raiders, you're like, oh, man, these are... 
these are just as good. You know, like I, I think, you know, if you've ever tried to draw certain things, you know, like people would know like, oh, maybe somebody's good at, you know, drawing the human body, but they're not as good as drawing, say, a car. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like he obviously can can do both. I mean, they both look like great images and the way it's framed and everything. And, you, you know, obviously it's one of those things where it maybe the cover of issue number two doesn't entice you to pick it up, but the final page of issue two certainly entices you to read the next issue. Mm. You know, like you're definitely engaged and, and enticed and you're like, what, what happens next? You know, like I am eager to, to find out. I'd have, I'd have been more interested in using that as the cover, to be honest with you. The only mm. other thing I've got in issue two is the title of this is actually a title of an original series episode, which seemed a bit strange, but whatever because uh, okay. the next one yeah. is as well the only other thing that i was going to mention about issue number two is that i did sort of feel weird that you've got these exchanges between the u.s and the soviet union and their literal nuclear strike exchanges mm. and i felt like i never got the vibe that those did any major damage i mean they they talk about that it there were assaults on other silos. So like the, the idea that they were trying to stop the capabilities of the U S to continue to retaliate. But I, I just kept thinking like, man, like th this should be a lot more serious at this point. Like, like, you know, there, there should be like a lot more death and destruction and damage. And I, I, I guess I didn't get that notion until the end of the story where they use nukes on Cylons, if that makes any sense. Mm. Like, I didn't feel like I felt all the ramifications of, you know, basically what had taken place because there's this huge misunderstanding, basically thinking, oh, you know, kind of, kind of like there was in the original pilot on a smaller level where you've got these military guys finding the you know, now uninvisible Viper jet and trying to cart it off to the military base going, oh, this must be some new Russian thing, you know, like, let's let's take it back and, and tear it apart and find out what makes it tick and everything. And and just like here, except for on a more larger scale, you know, seeing the Battlestar hovering over, you know, the, the U.S. Capitol, it's like one of those things where you're like, oh, you know, the Russians have finally done it you know whatever they're doing we we don't know exactly but they've they've basically made a first assault on you know u.s soil and and at that point that's why you know there's all these you know nuclear strike exchanges but i just felt like you know for for something that is visualized to great effect in something like say terminator 2 judgment day mm. where you you really understand the the magnitude of what that means to to have a place get nuked you know, I or, or even, you know, even something as cheesy as this last couple episodes of Arrow, you know, when 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 something does get nuked, you're like, oh, man, this is this is fucking serious. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? As opposed to, yeah, we've had a couple exchanges and it's like Data and Picard, like talking about, you know, casually the loss of life on a view screen. And you just don't really feel like like anything of significance has happened. You know, they, they're they just kind of spouting out numbers. And, and I think in this, they didn't even really say any numbers. No, it's just, they just kind of yeah. brush it off, don't they? Yeah, and I, I, I thought that was a little odd. Mm. But but that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, 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 that's fair enough. Hey, kids, comics! Hey, Michael. Yeah? We need to do a new promo. A new one? A new one. Why? Because we've moved. 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 We've moved to a new place. We still read comics. We do. We still talk about comics. Because you can't do a comic book podcast unless you read and talk about comics, because that's kind of stupid. But now, we have a new episode still available every Thursday, but at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Hey, kids! 
Kids Comics! So remember, Hey Kids Comics has moved to twotruefreaks.lipson.com. Still, every Thursday. That'll do, won't it? So I, I will continue on with issue number three, which is titled Experiment in Terra. And as you said, it is the title of a old Battlestar Galactica episode. In the Presidential Emergency Operations Center beneath the East Wing of the White House, the American president is being briefed on the colonial invasion. Los Angeles has been destroyed by the Soviet nuclear retaliatory strike, as have missile silos in Wichita. Colonial forces are reported to be landing outside the capital. The decision is made to evacuate the president and vice president to the Mount Weather Emergency Operations Center per the continuity of operations plan. Outside, Troy carries Adama on his back as he watches colonial pilots combating American forces on the ground. As Troy crosses the street, he is almost run over by Felix Mortensen. Troy pulls his laser pistol on Mortensen and tells him to stand back. Mortensen tells Troy that he is going to help him, astonishing Troy with his use of Capricorn. Mortensen corrects him, saying that he is speaking ancient Aramaic. It is apparent that his vocabulary in the language is not perfect. The two look up to see Marine One evacuating the president. Mortensen insists that Troy comes to speak with the president to resolve the misunderstanding between the Colonials and Earth. Troy agrees, but promises to kill Mortensen if the meeting is a trick. Rising Star flies over New York City, with flames throughout the city caused by the invasion. On board, Colonel Boomer approaches Dr. Z, who is monitoring the invasion on view screens. Boomer informs Dr. Z that Adama is alive, having been seen with Troy by colonial forces near the capital. He accuses Z of lying to both him and the Quorum of Twelve. Z ignores him, and instead talks about how his studies of Earth have taught him an impressive axiom. The ends justify the means. Boomer angrily notes that the Earth had invited the fleet to Earth in peace, only to have it invaded due to Z's lust for power. Z rebukes him, telling him that the invasion was necessary due to the imminent arrival of the Cylons, who will reach Earth in less than a centaur. To prevent a full-scale genocide, Z needs control of all Earth's military forces. Z argues that Adama would not have been able to bring himself to do what was necessary to defeat the Cylons, a proposition he thinks Boomer agrees with. En route to Mount Weather, Troy tells Mortensen to stop driving so fast. Mortensen notes that his speed is the least of their problems. After Adama awakens in the backseat, Troy briefs him on the situation. He believes that Mortensen finding them is an act of divine providence. Meanwhile, Baltar reflects on the Galactican fleet's conquest of Earth with Lucifer, and they prepare to deploy Cylon troops to Earth. Troy, Mortensen, and Adama finally reach the entrance tunnel to the Mount Weather Emergency Operations Center. Mortensen tries to convince the soldiers guarding the entrance that he has important information for the President. When they threaten to blow his head off, Troy takes him hostage and threatens to do the same. The tense moment comes to an end when the troops are radioed to escort the visitors inside, but not before taking Troy's colonial blaster. They meet the president, now specifically stated to be President Jimmy Carter, within an exact duplicate of the Oval Office. Mortensen explains they aren't exactly aliens, but the forebears of humanity and the ensuing nuclear chaos has all been one big global-level misunderstanding 
and that despite Adama being one of the colonial leaders, that Dr. Z is now the one spearheading the occupation of Earth. President Carter is about to have the colonials taken away when Adama recites the message the UN Secretary General Waldheim recorded for the Voyager space probe. Adama implores President Carter that they can both speak to their peoples and end the madness together. Adama and Carter give address over the emergency broadcast system, asking for a cessation of hostilities. Dr. Z, of course, is furious. As they finish the address, Mortensen queries Adama if they have a second fleet waiting in orbit. Adama quickly discerns that this second fleet are the Cylons, who they have foolishly led to Earth. We are left with images of Cylon base stars and raiders decimating Washington, D.C. And that is the end of issue number three. I know the, the the most of these I've cribbed from the Battlestar Wiki with slight revisions, but this synopsis actually ends like in the middle of the issue. So mm. I had to I had to sort of wrap it up myself. So I was like, damn it. <laughs> had to do some work. I had to do something. <laughs> uh, yeah. the, the front page refers to Troy as being Troy Adama. Which they didn't really have first or second names in the original, but it also calls him Troikus Adama. It's Commander yeah, Adama's well, name. Later on, he'll get called yeah. Bill. Yeah, yeah, that that was something that I had to note about, and it was one of those things where I had said previously how the the revival series somehow had things that stepped into the original TV series, and this this is a good segue to also mention that when Baltar is having a conversation. With Lucifer, he actually says that humanity built the Cylons, which in original Battlestar Galactica continuity is not true. Mm. Like, it was some kind of reptilian race, if I'm remembering my lore correctly. Like, they, they were not, you know, humanity was not the ones who built the Cylons. But, of course, in the, the remake, you know, the, the, the new version, that is true. So it's like they, they try to fold elements of the, the revival series into this series. And I, I mean, I, I don't know if that is done in part to heighten the quote unquote, you know, realism of, you know, the, the kind of grim and gritty, you know, 80s you know, Miller, Alan Mooring of this property, you know, in a sense, or, or if it's just one of those things where they thought it sounded cooler to call him Bill or something. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Cause it doesn't sound cooler to call him Bill. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, you know, cool in air quotes. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I get what you mean. See in the, in the remake, yeah. it, it fits fine Yeah. because they established that that was his surname and Apollo and Starbuck and all that stuff was call signs and they went for a much more naturalistic feel. In the, in the remake, but I, I I did I couldn't for any I've read all of the books the Galactica books and I could not remember at any point Adama being given anything that resembled a first name, so I was kind of wondering where the Troikus came from, unless that's Galactican for Bill. I you know like like on the wiki they describe his name as Troikus right. like so I was like oh well I don't know if that's something like where you know they've got all those like expanded universe type things or mm. those those like Star Wars encyclopedias where you know it tells you like you know somebody's middle name or whatever you're like I didn't know Ponda Baba's middle name was you know Troikus or what you know like that <laughs> kind of thing but 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 I yeah I'm not really sure where it comes from do you know what I mean like I don't ever remember anybody calling Adama anything other than Adama and and if if Boxy or or Troy you know is it, it basically if Adama is 
you know, Apollo's last name, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Like, then it's, like, one of those things where I, I, I sit there watching, like, the original TV show, and, you know, you've got, like, Xavier, who calls him, I think, like, Captain Troy, you know? And I was like, well, wouldn't you call him Captain Adama then? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, that, like, I started questioning, like, like you start you start taking things, like, too seriously, and it messes up, you know, like, like, because it's like, most of these guys have, like, one name, pretty much, you know, in, in, in the original scripts, and then you start assigning people, you know, last names, and trying to get all clever, clever about it, and, you know, it, it can quickly blow up in your face, because by the end of it, you're like, wait, why is he calling him Bill? Like, why is Baltar saying that they built Cylons when they never did? You know, like, those kind of things. Yeah, no, I, I don't agree with you. I think one of the nice things about Galactica was its spacey stuff. They didn't have Earth-equivalent names. They had stuff like Centons and Yarons. It wasn't just Earth transplanted into space. So it, you kind of take away from it when you start giving them first name and surnames and, and all of that. So I didn't really respond too well to that. But other, I mean, the actual story is interesting. Yeah. I like the stories that he's telling. I like the idea of dirty, you know, Galactica 1980 a bit. I liked seeing Boomer again because it was always nice to see Boomer. Yeah, yeah. Even in comics form. Yeah, it was good to see Boomer. I I think like the the only thing that I and I feel like I'll just give uh, opportunity to myself to mention it and part of my sort of shock and awe in terms of what I constantly refer to as the the clown car accident that I have to stop and look at in the middle of the street is that I gotta admit man like coming from the the background that I come from the whole the whole President Jimmy Carter thing like cracks me up like I just I, I I find it like highly amusing that like he's he's in this story at all and they they really make him like such a decisive sort of you know, I mean, obviously, it's it, sometimes the the actions are decisively wrong, but but still, like, there's just this sense of like, you know, it's almost like he can do no wrong, even though he's made a bunch of horrible decisions. Mm. So, like, uh, on a on a large scale, you know, coming from you know, just being, I guess, suppose an American and 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 kind of looking at it from a certain vantage point, like that kind of stuff always you know without getting like super duper political or anything it's like those are one of those things where it it always cracks me up like where you know if you have you know certain you know presidents in a comic book they're super awesome and if you have other guys in a comic book they're like the worst guy ever and and this is obviously not that you know it's like this is this is a very i'd say it's a very positive portrayal of that president given the 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 terrible nature of what is actually occurring in story do you know what i mean yeah yeah they never never use that to sort of slam that political official and and i guess it just in general like that kind of makes me kind of like i i sort of like sit there and chuckle about it you know to myself because it's just you know a vantage point that i think you know not not everybody would share but but again it was like one of those things where it like i said it's part of that clown car accident where i'm like oh look at jimmy carter do going to defcon one like no (laughs) i I don't know why it just it cracks me up so yeah jimmy carter came out of this quite well yeah i (laughs) I thought yeah. yeah i mean i did think they got to see the president much too easily yeah. Given that what's going on, they are, like you say, they're at DEFCON 1. That shit's going down. And these two complete strangers allowed access to the president. Yeah. yeah. I did, I, that, that was the one bit of this that really 
stretched credibility. And I know I've talked about this before, is where is your breaking point in suspension of disbelief? So I have no trouble accepting Vipers and Battlestars and any of that stuff. But the fact that these guys got to meet the president so easily, that snapped my suspension of disbelief. And I think it always comes down to what you can personally relate to. The premise of this is that the Battlestar Galactica exists, they have all this futuristic technology, I'm on board with all of that. But it's not easy to get to see the president of the United States. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think it's like one of those things where, you know, you've got all these elements of what I've been calling the, the grim and gritty realism introduced to what is essentially sort of a cheeseball, you know, lame brain science fiction sequel. Right. And and then and then the minute you get one of those aspects where it's like, look, we, we just have to get them to meet the president. Like, can you just. Can you just go along with us on this, that, that they get radioed and it's totally cool? And you're like, well, no, man, you made everything else all clever, clever. Why, why didn't you do a couple extra backflips through the hula hoop to, to sell them meeting the president? You know what I mean? Like, like why couldn't it have been like, oh, Jimmy, remember me, Felix Mortensen? Like, my sister knew your sister on Tuesday, and we both have the same cornrows as Norman Osborn. And, like, can you let us down now? You know, like, like so, something, you know, just anything, you know. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it, you know. But, yeah, I, I, I understand. You know, like, I mean, I, I, I think that was something where you're, you're like, even even in the synopsizing, you're, like, sitting there going, oh, okay, like, you know, they, they don't want anybody to come in. And then they get radioed to escort them directly in. And you're just like, why? Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess you're supposed to infer that it's just a, a decision that, that the president made and, and he's taken, you know, I mean, I guess he has the one line of like, well, I took an awful risk doing this or whatever, but, you know, I, I guess, I, you know, I now I've done it, you know, like, and you're like, okay, well, I guess, you know, like, uh, maybe it was out of a sense of desperation or something, but, I mean, that's the only reasonable explanation I could sort of level but yeah i mean yeah, I, like I, I said it, it does seem to be a stretch of of credulity yeah I, I think at this point you're in issue three you just go with it yeah i, I mean you, you yeah you just sort of have to be like all right we we gotta accept it at this point that they're gonna they're gonna have the conversation and you know adama's been practicing his we come in peace speech in english or whatever <laughs> you know that he's been listening to over and over from the voyager satellite that they got what like a couple days ago like or whatever i don't know but yeah yeah, and he's been ill for a lot of that, but we'll we'll just yeah. go with it. In the, in between sticking the gun to his head and contemplating suicide, he's been reciting the Secretary General speech. You know, we'll just go along with it. The Fantastic Arts is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that tastes forgot the 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Kree Skrull War. The arrival of Marvel Team Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2-in-1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Fantastic cast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? All right. So I guess I guess we're, we're we're almost at the home stretch here. We'll do the synopsis for issue four: the night the Cylons landed. 
which is finally a Galactica 1980 title again. Again, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're back to Galactica 1980. Well, you know, what are they going to do? Like, they're not going to name this after the, the, the Super Kids or whatever, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then call them <laughs> Super Scouts and then call you know? them Spaceball. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're kind of limited in their options, right? All right. So, at Baltar's order. The Cylons begin landing ground forces around the world while Dr. Z thinks to himself, so this is what it feels like to be wrong. In the Mount Weather bunker, Adama asks Troy where their Vipers are currently located. Meanwhile, the sinister Baltar comments on how Commander Adama always claimed that Earth was just like Caprica, and then states, now it is, as the Cylon base stars continue the assault of the planet. In just ten centons, the Cylon's invasion of Earth results in a death toll that rivals that of both of Earth's world wars. In the bunker, Adama desperately formulates a plan which involves using Earth's nuclear arsenal during a discussion with Dr. Mortensen. Outside the bunker, colonial warriors use turbocycles and various spacecrafts from the fleet to defend Earth from the Cylon raiders within Earth's atmosphere. President Carter, Adama, Troy, and Mortensen make their way via helicopter to a nearby nuclear silo. During the ride, Mortensen inquires about the government's contingency plans for an extinction-level event, to which Carter replies they have none. Meanwhile, aboard the ship The Rising Star, Dr. Z decides to flee as far as possible from the battle, and that he'll just create his own race. The plan is thwarted by the Cylons, who destroy the Rising Star with a missile from an inbound raider. Carter, Mortensen, and the Adamas land at Langley Air Force Base in Virginia. Fifty Colonial Vipers have landed there and are now armed with nuclear warheads. Baltar and Lucifer discuss the laughable notion of humanity mounting a counterattack. When Lucifer advises that the remaining Colonial fleet are at various military installations around the world, Baltar wonders, what is Adama up to? Adama's plan is to outfit the remaining Vipers with the nuclear warheads, since they have no means of launching the nuclear warheads from their colonial ships. Troy balks at Adama's idea to pilot his Viper, but Adama gives him no choice. As the attack continues, Lucifer reports that the fleet's ships are headed towards them. Baltar finds the idea absurd, likening it to gnats against an oak. Lucifer receives a hail from Commander Adama, who is leading a squadron comprising of Vipers, shuttles, and freighters. Adama speaks to Baltar personally. Baltar and Adama, who Baltar calls Bill, converse as the squadron draws fire away from Adama's Viper. Adama inquires as to Baltar's motivations for aiding the Cylons in the genocide of the human race. Baltar replies that the answer is obvious. Immortality. Baltar notes that the Cylons are immortal like the stars. Adama corrects his faulty logic that even stars eventually die in a torrent of nuclear fire. Here, he says, let me show you. On Earth, Troy hears his grandfather's last transmission in which Adama greets his family and friends who were lost during the journey to Earth. Hello, Apollo. Hello, Star. Athena, Cassiopeia, Ty, I'm coming home.
Six quatrons later, Troy is still perfecting his grasp of English. He answers reporter Jamie Hamilton's questions as they drive to a shipyard in Gaimon, Oklahoma. At the shipyard, he reveals they are building only one ship, but that it's the right one. We see the name of the Battlestar in progress being constructed, and it is named the Adama. And that is the end of the miniseries. Mm. And they haven't done any more of this, have they? No, supposedly there was supposed to be a sequel miniseries titled Galactica 1981, and that was supposed to come out in 2010, but obviously that has never been realized. I I don't know, I I was trying to remember, because I know I read a few issues of that Abnet ongoing Battlestar Galactica, and I can't remember if there's continuity that's shared between this Guggenheim miniseries and that or not. I, I don't remember, because I read all of that as well. I don't think there's any continuity between the two of it them. It felt like it was more, you know, with the classic crew than, than this, mm. so... And but, there's, there's more focus as well on in between. Like, there was a, he did a really good annual. I don't know if you read that, that followed on okay. from the last episode of Dharma Let's Baltar Go. Oh, okay. because he's he's helped him out with taking on the silent base there in the final episode and that okay. annual is all about how baltar survives on his own on a planet with nobody hmm. which okay. is a, that's a really good annual so some of that some of that dan abnet stuff was really good because as we record this dynamite are bringing galactica back as a comic book series but again dan abnet's not going to write and he's done with the death of apollo which is a okay. shame because i thought he was doing good stuff yeah i mean i i usually enjoy his writing a good deal i i have to admit i haven't read all of those comics but i mean it's definitely something that that i thought was uh, exciting news when i read it you know that he was writing you know galactica yeah and then it, it ended up being good stuff there's a there's a really good double page spread at the beginning of this issue where they actually talk about it took the cylons two centaurs to purge Caprica and Caprica was far more advanced than Earth in 1980. So essentially the Cylons are just decimating the planet Earth as they would. You know, we've got nothing in 1980 that could stand up to, to the Cylons. Well, it's weird, though, because there, there is some kind of negativity about, oh, gee whiz, you know, they, they nuke Galactica, which would have been their only hope. And then now I'm thinking about, like, the quest for peace. And if Superman got rid of all the nukes, then they wouldn't be able to defend themselves from Cylon base ships because that's what it turns out to be sort of like their, their ace in the hole, you know, when, when, you know, obviously they need the Vipers to get there and everything. But, I mean, the combination of the two is, is what is, is supposed to sort of save the day basically you know so yeah there's that there's that aspect to it as well where did they keep the fleet of vipers see that's what i I, you know like it's weird because i'm i'm sitting there going are these are these the vipers that just magically didn't get destroyed Mm. like because because it seemed like uh, i'm kind of like okay the the galactica got split in half so i mean you could argue like maybe they could somehow get some of those vipers out of the the two halves of galactica but then again some of those vipers probably were the vipers that were part of dr z's assault force too you know so like those weren't destroyed i don't think you know like so 
I don't know. Yeah, it just seemed like the, the, the Vipers were always stood on the Galactica's hangar bays when they weren't doing anything. Yeah, it seems yeah. like they would have lost a lot of Vipers as well when the Galactica was destroyed, but that's that's kind of just glossed over. Yeah, it does seem like there were a lot of them, you know, like more than you would have expected. But I, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it with like the Revival series and they were always like strapped for, you know, energy and ships and parts and all that stuff mm. or... Or if, if, you know, maybe in the, you know, the original universe, it was like no biggie and they had like tons and tons of Vipers, you know. Yeah. But... Yeah, they never struggled for Vipers or anything in the original show that we yeah. saw. Yeah. They always just seemed to have magic Vipers. Like in Space 1999, they never ran out of eagles, even though one got destroyed every episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know, I know you might have been shaking your head in disdain, but I did, I did unapologetically love the panel with the turbo cycles, like fighting off the Cylons. Oh no, I, I loved that like, bit. I so, have no inherent problem yeah. with the, with the turbo cycles. My problem in the context of the original Galactica 1980 was why would they have motorcycles when they live on a spaceship? Right, right, right. But I liked seeing them here because it is a nice tip of the hat to the the galactica 1980 show and they do look pretty damn cool in that page yeah i mean you know like like i was saying like again i i give dr z his props when he deserves them because you know i think that the main notion of the turbo cycles were they were trying to create something that did look like it belonged on earth even though it still sort of stood out like a sore thumb to like who who was it it was like it was chris from v the the series and it was what's his face the guy who played the the replicant in, in Blade Runner. Oh, and they yeah, were Brian both, James. Yeah, yeah. And so they were both like, hey, pull over, you turkeys. And he's like, my name's not Turkey, and neither is his. You know, like, like I, I don't know. Like, part of me sort of loves the naivete of that that group of people in Galactica 1980. Like, everything is ridiculously naive, you know, where they're just like, we are getting currency, you know, and then like they've busted the phone and t- they're taking all the change, you know, and stuff. So like, I don't know. I just crack up about that, even though it's, it's probably, uh, of course, most people look at it and go, you're crazy, Derek. This is ridiculously <laughs> bad. But, you know, I'm sitting there going, they're picking up change, man. And they said it's currency. I don't know why. It just it cracks me up. Well, speaking of Dr. Z, Dr. Z gets killed. Dr. Z does get killed and his death was pretty hilarious. I mean, if your goal is to passionately like, excise your hate for the the stupid wesley crusher type character in this show like obviously like his death was was hilarious because he still the character still has the need to be right even before he dies where the 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 computer's like this missile will hit you in 3.5 centons and he's like no it won't it's gonna be two point (laughs) and he blows up and it's just like that kind of cracks me up it's like it seems to be like like uh if you if there's any troll you hate on the internet, like Dr. Z in that moment is that troll that thinks he's always right, you know, like where you're like, oh, yes, like, you know, and you can vicariously sort of live that out where it's like, yeah, great, you're right. And now you're dead. <laughs> so so thank you very much. Yeah. So they get rid of him. I like all the shots of the Cylons just taking over Earth. Yeah, those are all great shots. Yeah, you've got that V thing where we see them attacking London and Afghanistan and Tokyo. All of that's brilliant. I love all of that. They they do a whole worldwide thing. I know I know there's a uh, I'll just bring it up so so I don't gloss over it, but I know there was a angry Amazon review 
because I think they were pissed off that that I, I think they I, I I don't know if I have anything that confirms this, but maybe it's in the trade paperback where Guggenheim confirms this. But the the Afghanistan shot, they were saying that was supposed to be Osama bin Laden fighting off the Cylons, and I know some people had left sort of like disappointed reviews that they just thought that that wasn't necessary you know like they didn't they didn't need to see that and stuff so that obviously pushed some buttons you know one way or the other you know i don't i don't know that i even noticed that the first time i read the story you know like so and and i i like i said i don't know that i can confirm that or not because i think the review said something about because i think it was for the trade on amazon and and i think the angry review basically just said and guggenheim confirmed this is the case so i you know i took a start off you know like or whatever it was you know and so i was sitting there going oh well you know what i don't have the trade so i don't know you know what interview he's referring to that confirmed it but i just figured i'd i'd bring it up but yeah there is that whole worldwide shot where you know obviously everybody is fighting the the cylons you know all over the planet and everything i i think again you had mentioned the commentary that adama has where he talks about parking the galactica over capitol hill was probably arrogant you know and and that it could be interpreted as an aggressive action and everything and like he it's almost funny because for for all of guggenheim's intent to sort of correct or make the original tv series better it's funny hearing adama say i should have done what we did on the tv show Hmm. you know what i mean because he's basically saying oh i could have just sent a single viper and you know in the tv show they basically send you know dylan and troy out in single vipers they turn invisible and you know they go around having hijinks and and collecting currency you know and stuff (laughs) like that and it's like oh if we would have just done that goofy shit like none of this horrible nuclear holocaust would have happened you know so i I did think that was kind of funny like like an interesting sort of dichotomy of of what his intent was but what the character actually says you know in the story yeah there's a brilliant splash page of Adama leading the Vipers into battle, which mm. again goes plays into that the art in this is almost unanimously really, really good. Yeah. The the space battles are really brilliant. And one of the things that we loved about Battlestar Galactica that you didn't get any of in Galactica nineteen eighty by the nature of its premise was this dog fights. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's true. And it's one of those things I don't care that they're not realistic. I'm watching Battlestar Galactica. I want to see dog fights. You, you, if you want to see the same dogfight over and yeah. over and over again, <laughs> yeah, uh, then I'll watch the series. Better, you better, you better get used to it. But you know, you know what I love though. I mean, and you could tell because I usually I put like an avatar on my Skype of like usually like a moment or whatever that's like really awesome to me or something that I loved. But man, like you know, I, I mean, people might be sad that that Adama basically dies in this storyline and everything. But man, I love the way he goes out. Yeah, like, I, I kind of thought. I, I kind of felt like I was hearing Cyborg from Star Trek V in my head, you know, like his last moment where he's like, you know, your pain, share it with me, you know, or whatever, you know, he's like, he's basically just kind of like, you know, you know, oh, you know, he's like, he's like, even stars can be killed, you know, let, let me show you. You know, like, and, and it's this great moment of him just flying the Viper straight into the center of the base star and this, and this was the moment I thought really showed the level of devastation of, of, a, a nuke you know what i mean it just mm. totally there's this big page of the the entire explosion and how it basically not only wipes out the base star but it's just it engulfs like all of space and i'm like i i never felt like i got that on earth but but there it was it was really impressive yeah it's an excellent final fight scene and adama going out at the end like he does he's great 
So then we cut to six quatrons later. What the hell's a quatron? I'm imagining it's like what, what, what they, they a yaron is a year, right? Mm. So maybe a quatron is a quarter. So it's like what, like what three, 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 three? So I don't know. six quarters. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't know. <laughs> I'm like sitting there going like, what? What is that? Like a year and a half later? Like, right. like, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. It must be something like that for them to have nearly have constructed a new Battlestar Galactica, which looks suspiciously like the one from the Reimagined series. Yeah, and then we've got a, a Jamie Hamilton cameo who mm-hmm. was the 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 uh, what will we call her the the plucky young female reporter from Galactica 1980. Mm. So, you know, I like the registration plate on the truck as well. He's BSG 1980. Mm. And there's lots of little touches like that as you go through the series that we've not mentioned as we've got because I was saving that for a separate bit. The 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 issue one opens with the the monologue. There are those who believe life here began out right. there, which was in every episode at the beginning of Galactica. The log entry is the initial date for the original pilot for Battlestar. And then the later entry date is the first episode of Galactica 1980's er date, which I thought was all nice little touches for people who were like, oh, right, very clever. So all of that was really good. And then there's even a nod to the beginning of Galactica Discovers Earth in, in Galactica 1980, where he gives that spiel about for all the years that Galactica has been our home, we have at last found Earth, all of that's in here as well. So there are lots of nice nods to the original and even to, to 1980, like you say with Jamie Hamilton cropping up at the end. So for the most part, I thought he, he kind of pays homage to what he's saying wasn't very good in the first place. And I, I thought he did a pretty good job with it. I really did enjoy this miniseries. So thank you for making me read it. Cool, cool. Yeah, no, I, I just, I, it's one of those things where I, I felt like it's worth taking the journey. And, and I think for, I, I would say that for, I, I, you know, I know, I know we're, you're kind of having fun at, you know, Galactica 1980, the TV series expense. But it's like one of those things where it's like, I, I'm not upset that I know what Galactica 1980 is. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, so it's like, I don't think I could have appreciated this as much as I did without having seen the TV show. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and I sort of appreciate it on a wholly different level than a normal human being does. But like, I still sort of, you know, I, I, I don't regret that I sort of, you know, went through and, and sort of experienced that, you know, like it was, it, it was an interesting experience and I, and I'm glad that, that I experienced both the TV series and this miniseries and everything. And I, I did feel like a, a sort of need to, to espouse to, you know, in a podcast form, you know, like what, what, what I sort of thought about it. And, and if, if people haven't checked this out, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I, I tend to like try to do homework and read things that I haven't read before I listen to podcasts. Or if I, if I already have read them, it makes it really easy for me. Cause then I'm just like, Hey, you know, I'm like, you know, Andy is doing, you know, Superman versus Spider-Man. I totally know that. Like, I don't have to read anything, you know, like, so there's, there's, there's combinations of that. But I mean, I would say if, if you have haven't checked this out and you haven't checked out you know galactica 1980 i mean you know obviously you may be you know banging your head and going why am i watching this tv show but you know like as far as the the miniseries like if you have any inkling like guggenheim was saying of you know that that you thought it could have been a, a decent premise but that there was a way to do it better like this is definitely you know an interpretation of that you know that's that's worth checking out and everything yeah
Dr. Leyland. I guess I guess that kind of wraps up the discussion on Galactica 1980, the miniseries. I know what we usually do at this point in the proper shows is we'll have a segment that's titled What is Awesome in Your World This Week? And basically what we do is we usually recommend something. It could be a, a book or a, a comic book or a toy or a video game or a movie or something that we, we thought was really cool and, and let the listening audience know about it. Basically, like for me, I'll just go real quick. And, and Andy, if you want to recommend something, you're, you're more than welcome. Okay. Basically, like what I got in my Amazon shipment this week and I have been putting off getting for a while is there are a series of children's books that are related to Guardians of the Galaxy. And they're, some of them are, are kind of like world of reading. Like it's basically for like probably I imagine like really young readers and everything. And then they're like maybe the more advanced readers and those are in hardcover format. But basically there are two Guardians of the Galaxy books and the art is done by Ron Lim. And I'm a pretty big fan of Ron Lim. And, and it's, it's sort of a movie tie-in, but the designs are actually much more comic book based. They look a bit more like the you know, Abnett and Lanning, Guardians of the Galaxy. And so those two books basically are Guardians of the Galaxy Beginnings and Guardians of the Galaxy, the story of the Guardians. But, you know, they, they do have occasional repeated splash pages of art, but for the most part, like both of them are sort of wholly original and they are also, you know, colored sort of independently and everything. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're basically like children's stories, but if you've never sort of realize that Ron Lim is doing all these kind of cool children's books to tie into like movies like The Winter Soldier and Avengers and stuff like that. I'd, I'd give it a look because they're they're pretty fun and, and I do really love the art on them. So that is my awesome thing for the week. Mm-hmm. Andy, if you have anything, now is the time to yeah. uh, let the audience know. I just picked up the first DC Comics collection of The Demon Hell's Hitman which features all the first appearances of Tommy Monaghan by Garth Ennis and John McCrea in uh, one trade paperback. And then they're going to do a second trade paperback that contains the end of his run. So this contains all of Ennis's early work on the demon, plus the first appearance of Tommy Monaghan in the Bloodlines annual. And then the subsequent storyline where the demon hires Tommy Monaghan to do a job for him. And the appearance of the haunted tank is also in there as well. So it's very recommended if you liked Ennis's Hitman, which is brilliant. McCrea's art's a little bit rougher than it would be on Hitman, but it's still pretty damn good. And if you know your British swear words, Ennis sneaks an awful lot of them into the story. <laughs> yeah, I remember what is that? That's that's Demon Annual 2, right? Yeah, I remember when that was like I remember when that was like the super hot book, you know, because people had sort of keyed in that, you know, Hitman was a great title and then they were all going back to get those early issues of his appearances. And then I think what Ennis starts on like 41, but I don't remember where Hitman appears in Demon after that. Is it in like the late 40s or 50s? Yeah, it's, it's pretty much straight after that annual. The, the focus oh, okay. where Hell's Hitman follows straight on from that Bloodlines annual. Cool, cool. Awesome. So that's great. So if you guys, if you guys are interested in that, of course, check that out. And this pretty much wraps up the episode. So if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, of course, you can feel free to send comments, questions, concerns to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed listening to this proper show, we have tons and tons of spin-off shows as well, such as 
Fanholes Sentai Saturdays, Toku Thursdays, Mobile Suit Mondays, and Transformers Tuesdays. So if you liked listening to this proper show, we hope you consider checking out some of the spin-off shows. We are on all kinds of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. We are on Stitcher Radio, where you can stream us. We're on iTunes. We, of course, appreciate all the likes and feedback and everything that you guys send our way. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. And Andy... I know I sort of did the dissertation earlier <laughs> on, but go ahead and, and pimp out and promote yourself. Is there anywhere where people can find you on the interwebs? Yeah, I'm on Facebook and on Twitter. So you can, Andrew Leyland's on Facebook and it's Leyland underscore Andrew, I think, on Twitter. You can come and say hi if you want to. And Fantasticast has a page and Hey Kids Comics has a page. And yeah, check out Hey Kids Comics or Palace of Glittering Delights for for more just random pop culture ramblings. They're, they're, they're the, the favorite things that I do. Yeah, they're all great. I mean, I really, really have been enjoying all the coverage on the Lee Ditko Spider-Man in addition to the Galactica 1980 episode. So there's all there's all kinds of fun stuff. And then there's, there's a lot of stuff I think you've given people an opportunity to look at for the first time, you know, like different TV series that you've explored. I mean, some of them, like I said, I wouldn't have to do any homework on and I could just <laughs> listen to them. But like so, some of them, it was like all new to me as well. So, you know, please, guys that are listening, go ahead and check out those shows. They're all really fun and awesome. And like I said, till the next time, this is Derek and listen to Fanholes Podcast. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you for inviting me. No problem. wiki and then i just sort of tweak them because you know i like to read things in english and then um <laughs> and thanks for doing this i appreciate it no it's it's just uh, i feel a bit bad how long it's actually took us to get around to doing it no no i i i, I always kind of figured you know what was funny was when i because i was listening to hey kids when it quote unquote was you know winding down like quote unquote ending you know and then <laughs> and then i figured i figured i i was like oh well he's obviously busy like cranking out all these episodes so i was kind of like i'm just gonna you know let him finish his his own projects and then you know i thought then maybe i'd follow up with it later and when i listened to the uh that your Galactica 1980 episode, I said, this is a sign. I'm going to reach out to him again. (laughs) That was good, though. I enjoyed that. Thanks. Yeah, no, this is awesome. I I I really did enjoy reading that series as well, because I didn't kind of think that I would. I'll be honest with you. I think the last thing the world needs is Galactica 1980. (laughs) The last thing the world needs is after that is a gritty reimagining of Galactica 1980. It's like like Scrappy-Doo, but Scrappy-Doo hardcore. Yeah, So, but it, it ended up being a really fun series. I enjoyed it a lot.